This is Jessica. And this is Kelly. And this is the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hi, everybody. Today, Kelly and I are going to be doing um, part one of our book club, Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. Kelly and I both became aware of this book um, by listening to Dr. Peter Atiyah's three-part series, interviewing Dr. Walker and talking about how important sleep is. And so Kelly and I are going to today go through the four parts of the book and talk about what we learned and what we liked about the book. And, you know, I think we also need to give a shout out to our cousin, Sophia Lyon, because I don't think we would have discovered the drive and we definitely wouldn't have stumbled upon the sleep podcast with Peter, Dr. Peter Atia and Dr. Walker without her recommendation. I think she had thrown that out to us when we saw her a couple of years ago. And so it really was enlightening. Um, And when we started this podcast and we really talked about health, one of the things that you know, we wanted to talk about was sleep. Sleep is the cheapest and easiest way that you can improve your health. Yeah, your overall well-being. Yeah. And as we've talked about, the month of September for us has been trying to care for yourself, right? Caring for yourself, kids are at school, and one of the number one things you can do to improve mental clarity, overall well-being is to ensure that you're getting enough sleep. So Join us today on our discussion on why we sleep. Okay, Kelly. All right. It was a lot. Yeah. And so it's good because a lot of deep references and stuff, it's good to actually have the physical book. Um, but just kind of listening along the, along the way um, on the audio as I'm, you know, through the house or whatever. I love Audible. Um, it allows me to read while I'm doing some mundane tasks, which I enjoy. Um doing and he has a pdf an accompanying pdf with this audible and so a lot of times when an audible book has a lot of references to the pdf then i want to get the book and i think yeah. that happened in this case there's a lot of charts a lot of figures a lot of graphs that he refers to and so it's like i wanted to have that all in one place and then there was so much research going on in this book that i needed to like look at it and um highlight it and write it down so my brain could figure it out yeah. I mean, essentially it's a sleep Bible. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I think this was one of those books that many, many versions of this book or many people will reference. Um, and this is like the source of truth, right. Or a single source of truth for sleep. And so what we want to do is talk through, you know, what we got out of the book is split into four sections and we're just going to kind of go section by section and talk through some highlights. We're not gonna be able to dive in too deep. Definitely want, if you want to learn more, we encourage you to read the book. Um, but hopefully we can bestow upon you some insights that we found in the book. Mm -hmm. This thing called sleep. I think one of the, the things that stuck out for me in this book was that sleep is the single most effective thing we can do to reset our brains and bodies. And in this section, he basically goes through evolution and why humans have always spent 30% of their life sleeping, right? And why that is in every society that did it and kind of exploring every society and all of these studies. And um, one of the big studies was that study that described what we call our natural circadian rhythm. So we all have our own internal clock um, that uh, that drives our sleep 
and wake periods. And so for me, you know, my, my awake period might be 16 hours, my sleep eight and Kelly, right. Yours might be, um, 16.5 and eight, right. Well, so you're I actually go a little know, over 24 hours. And I know exactly about my sleep. Cause I just mm. like completely nerded out on sleep and I have a Fitbit along with an Apple watch, but I wear my Fitbit in a lot of ways because if your Fitbit will give you a sleep score and it does it. And it breaks of, down your sleep cycles yeah, a little bit more exactly. than, a, than, a, than the Apple watch. Well, and the Apple watch, it'll do it, but you have to download some third-party apps. And then I think the Apple watch is a little more cumbersome, cumbersome to wear at night. Okay. So, so do you know your circadian rhythm? You have the stats on that or? I don't know what that would be. But you have data on your, your, I used to wear. So after we listened to Dr. Peter Atia's three-part series with Dr. Matthew Walker, I went crazy with my sleep and I wore my Fitbit every night all the time to get a baseline and to kind of see where I was. And the book, we he talks about four, there are four phases of sleep. The Fitbit does three phases, light sleep, deep sleep, and REM sleep. And so I was not getting a lot of REM sleep. And so by troubleshooting and working really hard and doing all kinds of things, which I know we're going to talk about in part two of our book club series is just kind of looking at how you can try to make sure that you're getting equal amounts of those sleep phases. And so I was able to do that with the wearable. How about you, Cal? Yeah, that's exactly it. And it just, um, I think this book has been helpful, right? Because it's like, as we continue on our own discovery journeys, learning about um, why it's important and learning about the different phases. So yeah, I think in, in the first section, it was fascinating that humans of all things really need sleep in a way that nobody else, no other living being needs it. Because they, there was a connection on like brain size and need for more sleep, right? So like the more intelligent, they were kind of linking like the more intelligent a species is, the more sleep that species will need. And I think the last thing I want to say on this, uh, on part one of the book would just be, you know, we have a morning, there are, you know, 30 to 40% of us are a morning type, 30 to 40% of us are an evening type. And then there's a rest that's kind of in the middle. So they, you know, like a morning lark or a night owl. And so if you're interested to know like what, it, and that's very, very closely tied to genetics, very, very closely to what your parents, um, how, how their um, circadian rhythm would be. So if that's something you're really, really interested in online, there's a ton of free tests to find out, you know, whether you're a morning person or an evening person, it's called an MEQ test because it's morningness, eveningness questionnaire. So you can go online and if you want to find more about it too, we have a link on our blog post, um, that will guide you to where you can take an MEQ test. What do you think you are, Jess? A lark or an owl? After reading the book, I think I'm a lark. How about you? I'm for sure a lark. And I think I would define that by when are you most productive? Thank you. I'm the most productive in the morning. And then by 3 p.m., I'm done. Well, and it also talks about, and I think the book com comes around to this many times, which is just how culture and society have evolved. And it really is becoming counter to what is kind of your na natural human existence. And one of the things is that the world is built 
on for morning larks, the larks. So if you're yeah. a night owl, you automatically have a disadvantage because the owls stay up late. Right. You're starting to be productive when work is over. Yeah. And I think, and also just kind of talking about me being tired at three, it was really validated because he said everyone's wakefulness dips at three. It's a global thing. You know, people used to, and, and other cultures, still a lot of countries have the siesta. siesta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that one fact I'm going to try, you know, I love facts and I love research. I'm going to try, um, not to give too much research, but my, one of my favorite ones that they did that study in Greece of 25,000 people who took away the siesta from one to five. And um, because, you know, as societies became more industrialized and not so agricultural, they kind of took away the siesta and there was a 37% increase in heart disease and the mortality rate increased by 60% for working men. So I would be a proponent of bringing back a siesta because I do my, I do dip um, at 3 PM in my wakefulness, but anyway. Yeah. So that was part one and it's got a lot of good foundational information and insights. And then we move into the next section of part two. Yeah. Why should you sleep? So to me, I felt like part two was very much like I want anyone who tells me I'll sleep when I die or I'm just a person that doesn't need a lot of sleep. I just need three hours of sleep. I think four hours of sleep. Please just go read section two of the book, because to me, it's basically like these are all of the horrible things that are happening to you by not getting enough sleep and by being sleep deprived. What was your kind of interpretation of that section? Yeah, I mean, I thought the the first page of that section on chapter six, where it's like scientists discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer, enhance your memory, makes you more creative, makes you look more attractive, keeps you slim, lowers food cravings. It's like all the things, right? Reduces risk of cancer and dementia. Word Sign me holds, up. Right? And yeah. it's sleep. This is where it's like, yeah. it's the single most important thing you can do to just live longer is just make sure you're getting enough sleep. Yeah. I think the scariest thing for me, and this is what, you know, we heard on the drive podcast, um, was that, you know, lack of sleep is recognized as a lifestyle factor contributing to the risk of developing Alzheimer's. And that's a lot of the research that Dr. Walker is doing. He's at the, um, Sleep Research Center at Berkeley. And so to me, Alzheimer's and losing your faculties to me is, is, is kind of one of the worst ways. Um, dementia, all of those things is the, is the worst thing that could happen to you and declining and aging. And so to me, it's like, oh, what the number one thing you can do to help prevent it would be sleeping. Okay. That that's, that's definitely a game changer. And I know, you know, I feel like our parents raised us to value sleep in a lot of ways. Don't, don't you feel that way? Or like, do you feel like we, I was always you were incredibly sleep, disciplined. I you were very sleep. disciplined yeah. of like, I'm going to sleep. You could be at a part sleepover. I was a first one to be at sleep. camp. Yeah. You'd be like, peace out everybody. I'm going to sleep. I, I did an adolescence trend transition to a later being up later. And I had a TV in my room and I don't know, mom and dad didn't really pay attention. I remember staying up till 11, but we had a, I mean, compare kind of a late start time ish. I don't know. So like I would sleep till seven. So I was getting eight hours of sleep because I, you know, I would sleep as long as possible, roll out of bed and go to school. Yeah. <laughs> I would cause well, us to be late. Quite one of the things, one of the things we would just eat our toast in the car. Um, one of the things that 
was super fascinating is do you remember the the part in the book about the pianist and how he told him how he practices something and he he gets frustrated and he can't quite get a certain um you know line or refrain or whatever in his uh, practice and then he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he plays it perfectly and how there's now scientific evidence that um you while you're sleeping you're learning and how it also lends itself for creative people right that like people are more creative when they get more sleep um it also you know there is this i think common knowledge is if you know when your kids are going through standardized tests to make sure they get enough sleep the night before um and it seems like all of that yeah stuff is now how, how learning and memory are all so connected to sleep. And I think it's like, it's, it has to be, it can't be broken up into nap, 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 nap. It's like, we need to go through all four phases of sleep for us to be able to have all of those benefits. And, um, you know, you, a nap will not salvage learning, memory, emotional stability, complex reasoning, or decision-making, right? All of that is negatively impacted with lack of sleep, right? There's an increase of heart attacks, cancer, mortality rate increases with lack of sleep. Yeah. Uh, and also because you're not, what's scary is that people don't know how sleep deprived they are and consistently underestimate how impaired they are. So yeah. it's like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to drive. Right. And it's driving while impaired by dri being tired. You are driving while impaired. Absolutely. And also people get used to this lower level of functioning and they yeah. think it's normal, but they don't think they're tired because their body is used to functioning that way. And that becomes their baseline. Yeah. You know, so that, I think that, um, that's, you know, all the stuff I had for section two, anything else, Cal, why we should sleep. Yeah. So I think you talked about it, but we'll just kind of, again, reiterate it, which is lack of sleep. There was, there was a um, study about how um, they took two different groups and one was sleep deprived and how their arteriosclerosis risk went up because their arteries began calcifying. Um, which is crazy to me that like you were increasing your risk of stroke and heart attack just by not sleeping regularly. So many tests on where they would have people, you know, with your brain functioning, like push this button, push this button, push this button. This group gets eight hours of sleep. This group gets four hours of sleep, this right. And then push the button, push the button. And so talking about like, there was a group that just didn't push the button at all. Like your brain just stopped for like a few seconds. Yes. And so think about driving. Okay. This person had six hours of sleep and they they didn't push the button when they were supposed to. So how are reaction times? If someone runs across the street, if something happens, our brain stops processing just for a split second, how that impacts our decision-making. Um, but I think just yeah. so like you're saying so many studies on like, we study these people, we reduce sleep and these are all the horrific and horrible things that happened to them because they weren't sleeping. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's terrifying yeah. to think about the fact that a vast majority of people are not getting enough sleep and everyone's driving a car, you right. know, and right. traffic related accidents have got to be tied to people not being rested. I will That's never like for, yes, forget that where they and I know we're going to get to school start times, but just how when they changed school start times in Wyoming, how it decreased car accidents by like 80 yeah. percent. That's insane.
by pushing back school start times. Like that's incredible. I mean, just it's, it's, it's all, it's so heavily supported by research how important sleep is. Right. Um, and then we kind of transition into part three of the book, how and why we dream. So the dream phase is REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. So if you've ever held your little kids in your arms, watch your kids sleep, watch your partner sleep, you can tell there's a part in a phase in their sleep when their eyes are closed and you can see their eyes moving back and forth. And that is the dream dreaming part of our sleep. And, um, one of the things, and you were kind of talking about that Kelly with creativity, how many people, how many famous musicians have talked about, they woke up and they woke up while they were in REM, jumped out of bed, wrote the song. And they're all these like amazing songs like satisfaction from the rolling stones he wrote that woke up he he woke up and saw that his his recorder was recording and didn't know why and played it back and he had got up in the middle of the night played uh the intro to satisfaction and went back to sleep like while he was in rem so there's a lot of creativity happening there it's amazing how your brain is working all the time yeah in that way yeah And, um, I have a lot of clients that will tell me, oh, I'm dreaming about this. Why am I dreaming about this? Can you tell me why we're dreaming about this? And I thought it was really cool that in chapter 10, he says dreaming as overnight therapy and how, um, while we're in REM sleep, our brain is reprocessing the day. And so it helps reduce our emotional connection. So if something, um, happened during the day to us that was very emotional, that evoked strong emotions. If we were able to get the appropriate length of REM sleep, if we are, talk about it again or are faced with that same situation, our emotions, we are more emotionally disengaged from that. So it's not as um, emotionally triggering for us. And so then that goes into PTSD. So a lot of people are having nightmares and PTSD. The studies were showing that those people are not getting the appropriate amount of REM sleep. So REM sleep helps us learn how to navigate the scary world and helps us reprocess our memories. And interesting, our brain doesn't work that way in childhood. Our brain does not start to prepare us to process the world until adolescence lessons, which is really interesting, right? How the way our brain utilizes REM sleep changes as we go through the life cycle, which is really fascinating. So, um, you know, our our REM sleep is having us process through the day. So I thought that was really cool. Well, and I think it's fascinating how interconnected things are in terms of like understanding in the book, you know, certain things that we do block REM sleep. So if you're already experiencing trauma or something that's stress inducing, even when we're, and many of us are stressed out, right? It's triggering the sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system, whatever mm-hmm. it is that handles mm-hmm. the stress piece. Yeah. And if, if REM is supposed to help you wrestle with things, but you're having multiple glasses of wine or alcohol before you go to bed or all those things, which suppress your REM, then it's also further exacerbating, right? Yeah. Um, That trauma or stress or whatever it is that you're experiencing. Yeah. 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 So that whole section, yeah, was just kind of about dreams and REM, right? Why REM sleep is so important. And just like what we talked about before, if you, if you don't know what phases you're getting, or you're not quite sure, or you're having nightmares, or you're bothered by your dreams, a wearable can really help collect data for you to see what phase of sleep you're in, because um, they can tell by by your pulse. 
And I think there's, and we can also um, post a link to other like sleep surveys. If you don't have a wearable or don't want a wearable, um, there are mechanisms to even track. Like, did you, if you like don't eat sugar before bed, don't do all, if you didn't do all the things, it should be able to predict like that you had a good night's sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then how about part four, Cal? Yeah. So part four really gets into, I think the meat of, in a lot of ways, um, what, how it's impacting us in reality. So you could have up to this point, you could have been like, I sleep great because I take Ambien. Uh, don't take Ambien. Um, right. So the, the, yeah, the title of section four is from sleeping pills to society transformed. And so a lot of that is, you know, anything that whether, you know, caffeine is, Technically, after reading this book, you should not consume caffeine. So let's talk about this. Okay. So I want to talk about caffeine. It's so interesting. So first of all, I am should not be having caffeine. I've had several healthcare providers talk about some of the things I'm I, I struggle with um can be from inflammation caused by caffeine. So I went off caffeine okay. for like two years. And then recently I'm like, you know what? I think I need to go back off caffeine. Right. And I don't know, by the way, I'm not a hundred percent off caffeine because you're, I'm going to have chocolate or a tea or something like that. So to me, it's coffee, right? So yes. I'm not yes. drinking coffee to say, and I think pretty early on in the book, he said, you're, when you have caffeine, you don't know when that's going to impact you. 50% of the caffeine wakes you up and the other 50% of your, the caffeine floats in your body and is released whenever. Well, and as we get older, because it's how our body with anything, alcohol is the same, but I mean, it's how our body metabolizes the caffeine and everybody's body is very different in terms of how it metabolizes it. So when they talk about only having coffee or caffeine in the morning, it's because there's a general assumption that your body metabolizes it by the end of the day. Yeah. So I think as a rule of thumb, you know, limiting your coffee in the morning, limiting yourself to two cups, which I think is generally what people say to do, and then not drinking caffeine in the afternoon. And recognizing that decaf does have caffeine in it. So it will, right, it, it could stay in your body. And I think with everything, you know, I talk about this all the time, listen to your body. I am a person that can drink caffeine and go right to bed. Like I, I could, but I'm not saying I'm getting the sleep phases and I'm not saying I don't, I haven't done the research and I, cause I don't regularly do that. Yeah. But like if we were out to dinner my, and my husband would not necessarily get coffee cause he would say, I'd be, I'll be up all night. Right. So he already knows caffeine wakes me up. I can't have coffee at night. I'm a person that could, I would only be having it right if we like if you're out to dinner or something right you have yeah i mean if you're out to, if i'm out to dinner I would it's still a big meal and you're having you know lots of bottles of wine and right. lots of courses and then dessert comes and you know i'll order a cappuccino or something i feel like it's not a much but at this point i've already had sugar after eight o'clock i've already right. had wine plenty of wine right like, my sleep's going to be wrecked anyway um and so i think part of this is you know, to me is like coming to terms of the fact that nobody's perfect and everyone has their vices. I think if you are spending a majority of your time focusing and making sure you have good sleep, you're going to not have good sleep. Sometimes you're going to make bad choices and it's going to not be good, but maybe the next day don't plan on taking a test or don't plan on taking a road trip. Right. Or knowing that you're not going to have 
good, clear thinking, because without a clear mind and your your brain didn't get enough time, right, yeah. to, to do the things it needed to do. Yeah. And I think, again, it just reaffirms like, okay, for me, caffeine causes inflammation, it impacts the way I feel. And then I'll read this book and I'm like, okay, right. Like it's smacking. It's, it's kind of like highlighting just, this is universe telling you keep on your road of the no caffeine. Um, again, for me, that's coffee because I did have a chai tea this morning, which I know chai has, it was made from black tea and I know black tea has caffeine because I had like four ounces of chai, plain chai. But. Well, and it's also like, know your body. And that's part of this whole, you know, with chasing brighter about like taking care of yourself Yeah. and sometimes taking care of yourself means that you also need this social, emotional cup of coffee or whatever it is that you need that you feel like. Right. Gonna... If that was horrifying to give up your coffee, take the coffee. Take yeah. The coffee. Right. Because part of it is just like being happy and doing things that, you know, make you happy. Absolutely. If it's needing two, you know, two giant carafes of coffee every day. That's too much. That, that needs to be something you might want to rethink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in moderation. I'll never forget. Do you remember? It was like when you first started working out of college, I remember you telling this story and you were like at work and you went to get coffee. You're like, are you serious? Someone just drank all the coffee. And you realized you were the only one drinking coffee that morning and you had drank the whole pot of coffee. I you really remember that and I made up no. the whole story. No, I just remember because I wasn't a coffee drinker until I had kids. And you were like, oh my gosh, someone's, you know, like who's drinking the coffee? And you rec- you recognize like you were going back, going back, going back. And you were the only one that was drinking coffee that day and you had a whole pot. I just remember that story, you know, like think about that, right? For so many of us, we I think a lot of people aren't paying attention and they're just getting more coffee, getting more that coffee. Was, and that was coffee. when I was in my 20s and I probably yeah. had a great metabolism. <laughs> it broke it down a lot easier i didn't have coffee until i had my eldest and mom came to stay with me and so we had a coffee pot for guests and i remember making mom coffee and then i was like i'm gonna have a cup and i was like this is amazing i'm awake this is incredible I, it was like magical I, I felt like i discovered caffeine. we probably need to have a specific podcast episode on coffee because you know i have my whole coffee obsession and i can talk more about my own personal coffee journey at that time you're right we can don't drink it but we're gonna have another episode about how amazing it is yes yeah (laughs) so the other part about this section was then the next thing which is about alcohol the fact that having alcohol particularly in the afternoon slash evening does not induce it does not help one to induce natural sleep and it suppresses REM sleep yeah yeah. But I didn't judge you like that. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of common knowledge that you're maybe not, but I, I would, I'm going to connect this to sleeping pills. And when we listened to him, when I listened to Dr. Matthew Walker in an interview, he had said taking sleeping pills, um, knocks you unconscious, but you're not going through the cycles of sleep. So I could hit you over the head with the frying pan. You could be knocked out for eight hours and you could take a sleeping pill. Those are the same things. You will not get the REM sleep. And I would say for me, um, and my practice, 
instinctually and anecdotally, that's always the first thing I was working on with clients is like, how's your sleep? Because so many people I see, particularly people with PTSD suffer with insomnia. And it's like, to me, that always has made sense. Like, how can you be your healthiest, happiest self and not be getting sleep? Like, we've got to figure out sleep, right? How can you do all the things we need to do in therapy that take energy and brain power and concentration and memory if you're not sleeping? Right. That seemed intuitive to me. And so um, a lot, very few of my clients have taken sleeping pills, but we want to be like, okay, let's look at our sleep hygiene and what steps can you take so you can get yourself to sleep without the aid of a sleep aid because you are not going to be getting the face of the sleep. And this book really talks about a lot of the very common components of sleep. One of the things that it kind of didn't dive in as much deeply to is the cortisol and like your levels of cortisol and your ability to how that much, how that impacts sleep. I don't feel like it. Did you feel like it covered that at all? Um, a little bit talking about melatonin, uh, talking about adrenaline, especially yeah, in the REM the other hormones. phases, the, the hormones, adrenaline. And was it, it's not epinephrine, it's something nef. Do you not remember which one that was? There was there was something, and that was with the PTSD stuff um, on, on what your body was releasing. And, and so I guess what I wanted to just comment on, too, is if you are stressed, you're going to have crappy sleep if you're not taking care of yourself as well. Because that's going to impact the hormones that your body is right. releasing during the phases, and then you're not, that's going to impact your production of melatonin. So, you know, a lot of this, I feel like the final chapter was just about all the things that can come into play in terms of impacting your sleep as well as some other interesting facts, right? So it talked about, we talked about the school start times and accidents, um, sleep disorders mm -hmm. and many sleep disorders, which is why people aren't able to get good sleep. Um, can affect so many things, but one with kids was ADHD and it talked about 50% of kids that have been diagnosed with ADHD actually have sleep disorders, which was fascinating to me. And it went into um, sleep apnea or how kids can't breathe and they snore at night. So they need to get their adenoids removed and how that actually improves their sleep. And then ultimately a lot of them might have their ADHD goes away. Oh, I have had a handful of kids that were in my practice years ago that had their adenoids removed, which impacted their sleep and then um, reduced their um, hyperactivity and attention deficit. Really? For sure. So, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So incredible. And uh, yeah. And they, I remember one case in particular where they had a really hard time getting their child to sleep. They had so much energy that a really hard time. Um, they were trying melatonin and all of that was improved after the removal of the adenoids. Isn't that crazy? Wow. And it's like, you know, depending on where your kids, you know, we're not, they're not in your room with you necessarily for you to kind of know what's happening with them sleep wise. Yes. Um, but I think it's like, let's, let's add that to a list of things we're checking off, you know, when it's like, oh, my kid's experiencing this bumping up, let me check out their sleep, you know, to the top, right. If you could bump up how that's going, which, which, which reminds me, by the way, Dominic got a Fitbit. I'm curious. I think I want to put it, have him wear it to bed for a week to get some information on how that's a good is. idea. Both my kids have. Yeah. yeah. And kind of see uh, where their information is. Um, and the other thing is talking about melatonin. We have used melatonin and do use melatonin in our home. And he talked about really, 
your body produces right so so when the sun goes down and it starts getting darker our body starts to produce melatonin that's why blue light and screens and ipads and all of those things aren't good to have before sleep because it reduces our body's production of melatonin which again is the sleep hormone it helps you get tired and so um but melatonin isn't just released at the beginning of sleep it's released throughout the night and so depending on what kind of melatonin supplement you're taking it may not be a good quality one it may not be a high percentage of melatonin it may not be a time release melatonin um and so he doesn't necessarily see the benefits uh, he doesn't say don't take melatonin but in his studies it wasn't that helpful in getting people to sleep however they noticed that as you are aging melatonin does help you sleep because as we go through it's like it's like as you get you know teenagers need a lot of sleep and as we get older past 40 um the bladder stops working as well it's waking us up at night we're waking up a lot at night and then older people you know how they say older people don't need a lot of sleep that's a myth and not true and everyone needs an appropriate amount of sleep and they have found that melatonin is helpful with you know people over 60 yeah didn't it it was something about how you're actually not waking up because you have to go to the bathroom you're waking up and then you're going to the bathroom so it wasn't yeah. actually going to the bathroom that's waking you up. But when we're awake, we're not fully awake. And that's when there are a lot of falls for people. And that's when there um, a lot of people are getting hurt, breaking hips, things like that. And so he talked a lot, several times in the book, about reducing water consumption at certain times at night because we don't want to be waking up because waking up negatively impacts and disrupts our sleep. So that was all interesting. I'm thinking about cutting off my water. I'm going to start being aware of it and start slowly cutting back cutting back cutting back to see if i can because i'm one i do wake up a lot i drink a ton of water um to see if i could if i could sleep through the whole night without being in the bathroom i feel like it happens after 40 which is where i'm at (laughs) i feel like it's a win for me if i wake up if i sleep till 5 a.m and then go to the bathroom and Um, go back to sleep oh that would be incredible for me yeah 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 so i think um you know all in all a lot of great information. It's, it definitely is one of those books where some of it, you knew a lot of it, you didn't know, but the overall goal of the fact that everyone knows they need to get enough sleep. And I think to what you're saying is for people to say they can, they don't need enough sleep is actually BS. They become desensitized to it. And they think that the way they're functioning is optimal and it's not. There was that whole section, which I did not even want to listen to or read too much, which was about how like you should ask your doctor before a procedure, how much sleep they had before. Did you remember oh, that part? But it was like, no. when you meet with your doctor before they do anything, you should ask them like how much sleep they had the night before. Um, no just kidding. so true in the medical community. Yeah. You know, that's another thing he doesn't really tackle is, you know, the medical community prides itself on having people who can perform with little sleep, which isn't right. Because Dr. Peter Otia talked about how he would sleep. What, what did he say? 40 hours a week when he was in residency? No, it's terrible. Especially and, if you're working yeah. ER so, or anything so else. Justin does surgery and Justin has always been so serious about sleep before surgery. Like if someone asks us to do something, he's like, I have surgery the next day. He will not take any medication or anything the night before he has surgery. And on the morning that he does have surgery, he will not have caffeine that morning. So, but somewhere That's along so the way, he learned that or somebody taught him as a medical professional that that's the responsible thing to do or yeah well i guess i think it's like just 
personally, that's the kind of person that he is. Like Justin's yeah. a very serious, responsible person. And so but somebody told him yeah. that that's the responsible thing. That's what I'm saying though. Right. Right. I mean, he, yeah. That's well, awesome. just to be, I would say at some point knowing he was probably taught right to listen to his body and know like, and he, and you know, we're all, and, and we're very serious with the kids as I know you are too. If there's a test, if there's testing, you know what I mean? If something's happening, even though sleep is always important, it's like we're paying even more attention if we know something big is happening. Yes. The day before. So like Dominic's friend kept asking him for a sleepover this weekend and Dominic had a tournament. And we're like, he has a tournament tomorrow. He really needs to get a sleep. We didn't even want him to go to the friend's house because right you don't know what sugar that you know like what he's intaking what he's all having there and that's going to impact his sleep and he had to be up early the next day for a game you know so yeah, yeah. i hear you well uh, beckett had a sleepover this weekend and he was they were up till 10 30 and they slept in the basement on a couch big like sectional couch thing and then when they whatever, when they woke up or when I noticed that they're awake, then I asked like, Hey, what time did you guys get up? And they're like five 30. And I was like, Jesus, these kids are going to be a mess. Beck was a mess by the end of the day. And he fell asleep in the car at three o'clock on our way to like a 20 minute ride. But I knew he, I knew, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, we're not going to be getting much done and he's going to be whiny and so i also removed him from electronics a lot because i know he gets really if he's tired electronics are really bother him i feel like they make him more it's like it it, it prevents him from being tired it's probably all the blue light i guess i'm yeah absolutely yeah put on his blue blue blockers blue light blockers well and as we start concluding today and summarizing it's like i think if you are a parent right and you are recognizing that your children have tantrums and go and play with lack of sleep. Let's flip that around and mirror, put the mirror on yourself. And can you start paying attention and realizing I'm really irritable today? How was my sleep? I know you kind of talked about this before, but like, you know, really examining yourself, examining what's happening and noticing, like, I feel so much better today and, 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 and noting how much sleep you need, because we need between, I know Dr. Matthew Walker says minimum of seven hours. Everybody's different. So is it seven for you? Is it eight for you? Is it nine for you? And kind of looking at what does that look like for you and noting how you're feeling and, and bringing that back to sleep. Yeah, I think that's great. I would encourage everyone to, you know, take, I think at least three days, if not a week and spend the time limiting, you know, alcohol for three nights, limiting caffeine. If no you can. phones in the bedroom. Yeah. Turn off no, your devices an hour before bed, no TV, no screens. Yeah, an hour before bed and just winding down and, and taking a bath or doing all the things that you need to do where there's no stimulation an hour before bed. And then and go set it at an earlier time and maybe even don't even set an alarm. Like see how, if you could just naturally slept, what that is. That sounds so lovely. We should do that ourselves. It's interesting. We're back on school time. And so I've been a hard bedtime, 10 PM and my alarm is set for six, but I've been waking up consistently at five fifty. you know, so I feel good about that. If what time I'm are you annoyed, going to bed? 10. Okay. So that's seven hours, 50 minutes. Yeah. I go to bed at nine, Jess. Yeah. That's why when you text me at night, I never text you back. I used to get before children and no alarms. I I would get, I would get nine hours. I would, I would sleep from 
10 p.m. to 7 a.m. But um, I mean, it's harder because yeah. you also have a teenager who's up a little later because I don't She's have been, She has this year. She has not. Baby girl is asleep the other day when there, you know, it was like 845 because I we have the boys tote lights out 830 and she's just going to bed, too, which I'm so happy she's been doing. And we're lights out at eight o'clock yeah. at our house for the kids. Yeah. What time's your school start time? Eight. Yeah. Yeah. And they get up between seven, at school at seven. six and seven. But they but get up naturally. We don't wake different. them up. Yeah. Everyone's different. It just kind of depends. But like we've talked about before, difficult with sports, right? We have practice. It's hard. I don't I don't think it'd be possible for us to get. Well, honestly, that's up until literally this week, because now, um, you know, there's some other commitments that the kids have that are changing their schedules. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if you can right, doing, doing what you can and, and, um, and watching your kids and monitoring your kids, but I, I'm excited for part two where we're not talking about problems anymore, but we're talking about the solutions so we can really deep dive into what we've learned, um, what we've read about and what Dr. Matthew Walker talks about, you know, and, and how to improve your sleep and how to get a good night's rest. Yeah. So I think this is, um, it's, the only book you need on sleep. It has an incredible amount of insights and it will definitely change the way that you think about sleep. Yeah. Thanks for listening and joining us today. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Chasing Brighter or on our blog, ChasingBrighter.com.